Get to the church, blind! Get to the church, blind! Go! Now! I'm Pete Mitchell, and he's Peyton Jones, and you're listening to Hardcore Church Planning, the companion podcast for the Church Planner Podcast and Church Planner Magazine. Each week, we'll bring you interviews from planners who are in the trenches making it happen right now. These active church planners bear it all, share their successes, their failures, and what they'd wish they'd known when they were first starting out. Listen in to discover how God is working in their church plans. Have you ever had to prep a sermon and you just looked at your bookshelf and you didn't have enough of what you needed? Well, you don't have to do that. Go to Logos.com. Logos Bible Software has everything that you need at pretty much at your fingertips because you're literally typing stuff in and with the click of a mouse button, you can open the entire C.H. Spurgeon Library. You can look up original languages, word studies. I mean, this thing is like the Lollapalooza of church planning information. You can have a little mini concert in your sermon prep right there. All the greats kind of gathered around and picking their brains and putting them into your sermon. And you want to check out LogosBibleSoftware.com. They'll actually make you look smarter than you actually are. Hey, church planner Peyton Jones, your host today for Hardcore Church Planting. Welcome to the show. I don't know why you're listening, but hopefully you came here not to listen to me, but to listen to Jeremy Martin. He is the author of the book, Build a Bigger Table. Welcome to the show, Jeremy. Hey, how's it going, Peyton? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me. Going good, man. It's going good. I'm running a podcast. Life could be a lot worse than that, as you well know. Exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. I tried to get Jeremy on here. We were just talking. I tried to get him on here a few times, and uh, it didn't work out because my life fell apart. So we were just talking about that. I was seeing him, <laughs> the white man version of the blues, which right. are, they're not bad. Like, the white man blues aren't that bad, right? Like, oh, my house that I'm remodeling. <laughs> it was legitimate. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was like, you know, so, okay, those aren't real problems, but... uh <laughs> But anyways, I tell you who does have big problems, Jeremy Martin. He's got a book, and he needs to sell it, and you need to read it. So, Jeremy, <laughs> let's go ahead and talk about the book. Okay, so uh, standard book questions forthcoming. But first, Jeremy, tell us a little bit about this guy we call Jeremy Martin. Yeah, yeah. Who so, is uh, Jeremy Martin? Who am I? Well, I was born at a very early age. Um, that's how I like to start it off. Uh, yeah, man. I So we're, we've been church planting here in downtown Las Vegas. Um, I was brought to Las Vegas in 2009 and just kind of felt more drawn to the center of the city. There's a whole revitalization project going on as many urban cores and, you know, we're becoming more um, uh, urbanized just in America in general. Um, and so really felt like something new was going on in, in downtown Las Vegas. I was living up in North Las Vegas and uh, moved my family down here. And uh, so, you know, I call myself a discussion starter, and we'll talk about why when we get into the book. But uh, I'm married to my just amazing partner in ministry and in life and in everything that we do, uh, Martha, and um, have two pretty awesome kids, Grayson and Henley. And uh, yeah, so, man, we're just a, a little family trying to to – do some big work here in uh, in a in a big city in a really really unique area, and so that's kind of the way I would sum that up. All right, man. So that's that's pretty cool, and I love I love how you you know you're talking about your wife being your partner and and all things. And man, I I just think that's a sign of maturity. With the longer you end up in ministry, the more you realize that uh, 
I used to talk about my church planning partners, you know, and I'd be like, oh, yeah, me and this guy. And my wife would be like, mm. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, Ginger Rogers said it best, uh, partner to Fred Astaire, dancing extraordinaire. She said, uh, remember everything Fred did, I did backwards and in high heels. <laughs> that's, that's how church planning really looks on the ground, folks, is your wife is your church planning partner and you are hers. And wouldn't it be interesting to see if the tables were turned and our wives always talked about the church they planted and we got to come along. Right. I wonder if we right. still find it as entertaining. So, <laughs> that's, that's interesting. Cause yeah. And you know, when I say partner, I mean like, listen, if she wasn't on board, we wouldn't be doing this. And, yeah, and right. honestly, there was some, there was some discussions around this, you know, it wasn't an instant like, Oh yeah, I feel it. It, it was, uh, <laughs> it was a process. And, uh, but when she was, when she's in, she's in like, that's yeah. just kind of her person. Like when she's in, she's in. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So now we, we look back and laugh at some of those conversations, you know, and, uh, this love that I get to do this with her. Yeah, man. You know what? And, and here's the thing is when you have those conversations, I mean, the important thing, I think for me is that it's, you know, our, our wives know God. Like I think most of the time I always just tell guys, I'm like, Hey, you know, just pray. Cause she's seeing something that you're not. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and the worst thing about it is like, we look at our wives and you're, they're usually pretty together. I mean, they're moms sometimes, you know, they're, they're, they're balancing all this and we feel pretty safe and good. I think what we underestimate is our wives, their view isn't quite so good. You know, they're looking across right. at us and they're like, you know, God, I trust, but you're a knucklehead, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so yeah. I really need to hear from God right now. So I always tell planners, dude, if you're expecting your wife to follow you, that's your problem. You need, mm, you need to mm -hmm. let some time happen so that she's gonna, she's gonna hear from the Lord, like just, Throttle off there, slow down, Turbo, you know, and let, let the boy <laughs> forgot. But anyways, okay, Jeremy, look, man, I want to get into this book, Build a Bigger Table. Um, Go. Tell us, what's it all about? Like I said, typical book questions forthcoming. Tell us yeah, about yeah. the book and, and maybe, you know, give us a synopsis and I'm going to hit you with, and you can add this in. It may tie in. Why did this book need to be written? Right. Yeah, uh, definitely. So uh, Build a Bigger Table is really, in essence, is kind of the philosophy of of uh, how and why we started um, uh, what we call Downtown Faith. And so this this faith community in downtown Las Vegas um, and kind of uh, where I I believe um, that a lot of communities of faith are going, um, you know, there's I feel like there's a shift um, certainly you can, you can look at statistics and see, um, and, and I mentioned this in the book that I was talking to someone about the statistics of things, you know, church world declining and things like that. Um, and the person looked at me and said, well, what do you do? And I was like, well, we, we started a church. He's like, does it feel like it's declining or dying or going away? It's like, well, no, it feels very much alive. It's like, okay, well, maybe certain things are declining or dying or fading away, but then there's this new thing that has to come up. There's this new life that's going on. And, and it's, it's really my philosophy on how I think that, that uh, people who follow Jesus and that churches and communities of faith can really engage their community, uh, all of their community, I mean, across the board um, in a meaningful conversation. It can actually create the space because one thing that I believe is true and I found out as I was spending time in this context in downtown Las Vegas is people are having discussions about the most meaningful things of life. 
they're having discussions about what they truly believe. Um, but they're not having them at, at church with the church, with pastors, because they feel like, uh, that's not, that's not the place to have that conversation. It's a place to go in and maybe find information. It's a place to go and find community even, but it's not necessarily a place where maybe their voice would be valued, um, at the table. And so we, we just felt like actually something different can happen. And so, um, yeah, so the, the, the book is about how, how Christian can engage in that. And I'll say this, it's also, and I have people who are not followers of Jesus read this and, it helped them with engaging in, in very difficult conversations about important things with people that are quote unquote the other, or maybe that family member that you go to the holidays with and you just know you're going to hear some things that you don't think and see the world that way. Um, and they've, they've been able to have wonderful conversations through that. Okay. Okay. So back up for a second. When you say the other what do you mean? Uh, yeah, so I think I think we all tend to uh, to tribe up, right? And we have this is my group, and they believe like me, and so I feel safe. This is my village. This is where uh, this is. These are my people. Um, I know who's in, who's out, uh, and so the other is kind of that that thing that you're against. You know, a lot of times churches will be criticized, or people don't know what you're for. They know what you're against. Uh, and, and so it's that, it's that other. So for, uh, for a lot of Christians, it may be, um, you know, a, a certain particular community. Uh, it may be, uh, for other people, it may be a pro- political persuasion. It may even be a theological otherness. Um, so it's really, how do you get people that are all across the board and incredibly diverse to sit at the table and talk about Jesus? How do you do that? And uh, so that's that's what we address in the book. How do you do that? Oh man, well it's a, it's a it's a wonderful process. I think um, at the core of it, uh, I had to learn a lesson personally, um, and that was humility. Uh, I was a big fan of being right, uh, being smarter than other people, uh, being able to articulate better than other people. So I'm not smarter than you, but I can articulate it better. Um, I always felt like smarter than other people. You're just not supposed to enjoy it so much. Right. Well, and you don't have to let everyone know. Right. And I always felt like I I told my wife one time, I was like, we were watching house. Uh, She loved the show house. And he's like Sherlock Holmes for doctors. So we were both in and, and I'm like, man, I feel sometimes like inside I'm house. I just can't be it on the outside. Uh, and I really had to struggle with humility. I had some, some wonderful men in my life that kind of pointed that out. Uh, it was a, it was a hard look inside. And so whenever I began to journey with humility and then God began to see, see, you need this because you you can't have conversation with people you disagree with or that you know nothing about if you can't master that first. And so, I, you know, first and foremost, that's just something that, you know, at the table in the book I talk about that. That's one of the four legs of the table is you, you have to have humility and you got to start there um, because being in relationship is more important than being right. I think when you when you look at Jesus, um, I think that's something that we see. Um, and so, you know, that that's certainly you, a big one a question. I'm going to I get what you're saying and I agree with you because I. I very much have, have started church plants, um, started one in a, in a Starbucks on the back of a Dan Brown Da Vinci Code reading group and talked nice. about, you know, being surrounded by people that thought nothing like me that became a church. Um, here's, here's the thing. Um, oh, um, uh, 
you know, there, there is a time. I, I don't know if you feel this, but, you know, I did a lot of like drug rehab and, you know, recovery and, and stuff like that is not, not personally, but as, you know, professional. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and worked in a psych hospital and, and worked rehab and yada, yada. So, you know, over, over the, over the years, I mean, I, I suppose my, I agree with you that being right on things that don't matter don't, doesn't really matter. Right. But, uh, at the same time, um, you know, over the years, I've learned that even Jesus, sometimes the most loving thing he could do is tell people stuff they didn't want to hear at the same mm-hmm. time. So how do you, you know, and being a firefighter and a, a guy that was in recovery, I mean, all these things apply when you're trying to save someone's life or heal a disease or, you know, get someone off drugs, all these things. It's, it's sometimes more like then truth takes a front seat and people's feelings takes a back seat. So, but, but I realize that sometimes we've overemphasized truth, um, at the expense of compassion, which Jesus didn't seem to do. He somehow came full of grace and truth. How do you yes. get that balance? Yeah. So we, we actually address that. And I think, uh, just, just again, personally in our experience, and these certainly aren't hard, fast answers. Um, a lot of that involves embracing, um, tension and uncertainty. Um, acknowledging that what I believe, I believe on faith, um, meaning that, that again, it's not, it's not complete blind faith. There's a reason for the faith that we have. Um, but also acknowledging that, that someone else is coming from what they believe to be true as well. Um, and, and that when you have those conversations, um, that, that, Jesus wasn't even the balance of grace and truth. He was the embodiment of grace and truth, which means he kind of he embodied the tension between two things. Uh, and I think mercy and justice is, is very similar. And and the the real and the ideal, like Jesus talked about this ideal kingdom that people couldn't see and that seemed really far-fetched and was a really high standard. But then he also had this very real moment where he would sit at the table with sinners and tax collectors. And the people who really pushed back against Jesus the most in those situations were the religious elite who believed that they held the answers. Um, and so when we, it's, it's about how we hold things. It's about how we embrace the tension. It's about being willing to get out into the tension because the other, he sits on that other side of the, of the tension of the, the, the tightrope, right? And I, I've got to be willing to move towards them. And then I think relationship gives us opportunity mm. to speak truth. To live truth as an example for people, that's, that's one of the biggest things that relationship allows us to do. And then it gives us a voice or what I call relational change in the pocket. We can cash that in for a hard conversation. Well, it's, it's um, interesting, isn't it? Because I think what we're seeing in culture right now and in, in, in Christianity is the idea. And, and I, now, to be honest, I don't, I don't know that it's absolutely true that religious people are really that glued to Donald Trump. I know some that are, but the majority mm-hmm, of people mm-hmm. I know and talk to aren't. And yet what's being publicly portrayed by many large churches, uh, very vocal evangelical leaders, um, not sure they represent the majority, but uh, <laughs> many of them are, are demonstrating, you know, that, that truth goes out the window. In certain circumstances. And so I, I always find it interesting because, uh, you know, I was a missionary. So for years, 
I stood outside of, of American culture and mm, watched right. it for about 12 years, then came back into it. And you, once you do that, you never see things the same again. Right. And, and what I'm noticing is some of the people that would be the first to double down on truth, um, with people that, you know, you know, all across the board with people that are unchurched mm-hmm. or whatever are willing to sacrifice that if it's the president of the United States willing to make those excuses. I think that's a valid attack right now on certain pockets right. of Christianity. Like I said, I don't, I don't buy the rhetoric that it, you know, the majority of Christians are there. I just don't, you know, because I'm, as I'm talking to people, I'm like, most people are pretty disgusted right now with what's going on in our country. But, and there's, yeah, there's, and there's, I think an array of, of studies and articles and things like that that talk about, you know, people voting, voting against one thing or for ideology and not necessarily, um, for this person, uh, voting for, um, a a desire to see certain things happen, um, at at the core of it. And and I'll tell you this. So we, we do a, a, an event we call pub theology and, uh, basically once a month we, we go to, uh, a local brewery. This it was part of the downtown, um, revitalization it is, you know, a few guys who had an idea and they started a brewery down here and they let us come, um, and host, uh, you know, pub theology there, which at first they were like, we'll see, we'll let you do it once. Like, I was like, can we get like, do this every month? They're like, you can do it once and we'll see what happens. Uh, you know, and, and that we've had a good response to that. And again, it's, it's pretty open. It's, uh, Brian, Bergoff, I believe his name is. Um, you can look up. There's some books about theology 101, kind of how to I've, do this I've within, book, yeah, within your community. And so, so when I uh, came across that, very, very similar to what we were trying to do at our gatherings. And so that was actually one of the first things we started was a pub theology event because in downtown Las Vegas, people like um, to drink and hang out in those places. So let's, we're like, okay, let's, let's get, yeah, I know. Hey, hey uh, what happens in Vegas? You're not supposed to talk about it. There is a saying. You know? Oh, that's right. I, I think I violated yeah, you the code. Broke, you broke the uh-huh. rules of fight club, man. <laughs> so we started meeting there and I'll, I'll say this. So like two weeks, so like the month of the election, we, we had a, a pub theology and I was – the only straight white male at the table. Uh, we had some of our transgender friends there, uh, some people uh, from the uh, the gay community there. Uh, we had uh, a guy who. Um, now wait a second. Those believe it's Jesus. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing about the the the, the conversation is. Um, there's a Jesus element, but it's really kind of like these open, like philosophical, theological conversations. And it's, it's real general. And so we, we love that. I mean, that, the, the LGBTQ center is just right down the road, like three blocks from where we meet. We actually looked at meeting in there at, at one point, uh, for, for gathering there. It just wasn't cost. You sound a lot. You're speaking my love language now. Cause yeah. So like <laughs> us in long beach, we, we planted in the heart of the rainbow district. Yeah. And, and, and for me, like th- th- it's been a massive learning experience and that was a learning experience. So at pub theology, being the guy that's facilitating, but then also shutting my mouth right. uh, and listening and letting people unburden and, and share their fears. And, and, uh, cause there were some legitimate fears and, and there were things that I didn't know. I didn't, I didn't know why these people felt this way. And so while I'm accustomed to like one side of the argument, it, it was really cool to be able to sit there and listen to the other side of the argument. Um, and, and so, you know, 
politically, I think build a bigger table, it, it can it can cross that line as well. Um, really, in any kind of sensitive discussion, and, you know, they tell you don't bring to the table religion or politics. Um, and and we just, I just, I just don't believe that. And I think um, real conversation in our world of of overconnectivity is actually a healing thing for people mm-hmm. if you can create a space where people don't feel the need to like, like draw a line in the sand between you and me of I'm right, you're wrong. And so we can't be together. Um, we, we had a few issues of that. Like when we first started, so, so, you know, you talk about how do you do it at church? One of the ways you build a table at church too, is you actually have tables. And so we, we have, we call Ted talk meets table talk. So we do a shorter type sermons, uh, messages, talks where we call it an idea worth discussing and, and our series really unfolds a whole, like one whole message kind of thing. Um, and, uh, cause I know at first for some people it's like, wait, you didn't even open the Bible this week. You just like, you talked about a lot of other things and stats and books and it's like, yeah, we'll we get to that next week. We're going to unfold this conversation. And, um, and so, but we also give people a chance to talk at the tables and, and we, we tell them your voice matters and we, we prove that to them by asking questions and then listening. Um, and, and I'll I'll say this, it's, if you can create that space where people feel welcome, they don't necessarily feel like you agree with them. They don't agree with you, but you can have this important conversation, this thing that matters, this thing that's uh, about the depths of life and who we are and what it means to be human and what it means to connect with the divine and, and what it means to have a relationship with this God that maybe they don't feel it's very close at all. If, if, if even real. Um, Let me ask you what, so you're meeting in a public space like a pub. Well, so that's our, that's our pub theology. So for our, for our Sunday gathering, we've created multiple space. So we have a podcast where we interview people downtown about whatever it is they believe. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we also have uh, groups that are very specific for, and they're centered around discussion, but around like healing or helping people. Like we have a financial group going on. Uh, We've had other groups that operate very much like almost like a group therapy type um, situation. uh, and our Sunday gatherings, we meet at a local school that's a, it's a private school that lets us keep our stuff there. And they have a beautiful multi-purpose room that's actually an old church that was um, during the, uh, you know, white flight of the 80s and 90s was abandoned. And so um, the downtown project came in, they bought it up, they started a school there. My son was able to go to preschool there one year. And um, that was not where we were originally supposed to meet, but like four weeks before we launch, we're supposed to launch three weeks before we're supposed to launch. I'm on vacation in Florida and I get a call. Hey, you need to get all of your stuff out of the building that it was in. Ooh, church uh, blues right there. Sing, yeah. Take it away, Ed, sing the blues. And what I was so pumped about was I was gone. I was, I was, you know, 2,500 miles away. Uh, my team, I made one call, uh, and my team, actually I told this person who called me to call this team member and they had it all out. And cleaned up and done immediately that night. They they went and did everything. The team just really came together. And then we had to find okay, well we're like weeks away from launching and it's a holiday season. Like what are we gonna do? And uh, this school uh, was very gracious to let us come in. I didn't think they would, um, and they let us store our stuff there. It's very cost effective and it helps them. And 
Yeah, so so it's it's actually an old church. There's some stained glass in it, which is really weird. So physiologically, people come into this space and they're like, "Wait, but I, okay, what do I do with this?" You know, high arching ceilings and like that. Uh, but the way we set up there again, there's tables, almost like a restaurant. So there's high tops and regular restaurant style tables. So it almost feels like it's 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 layered, so you can see the speaker because there's no stage, uh, which was number one uh, when our team got together. We said, "Okay, what do we do to create this space?" And they said, you got to get rid of any kind of stage. You, you, we literally have to be on the same level as everyone else. And I went, okay. Like that's a, that's a mental blocker maybe for some people. So perfect. I mean, I'm six, four, so it, it helps. Uh, but like, so, so we had no stage and there, there was all these things that we got together on. And, um, you know, I, and I've probably taken too long to say this. A lot of this, the book was my, my vision, at least my idea in the inception. Um, our team, uh, was really owned it. And, and I've been able to give away so much ministry. It's another reason why I feel like we've had the influence we have, um, as quickly as we had it in downtown. Um, because I've just given away ministry and ownership and leadership and, and, uh, people talk all the time about empowering leaders. You know, we've, I was able to do that almost instantly, like where, and simply again, the, the humility thing coming and going, you belong at this table, you have gifts and leadership, you have an opportunity and, and just going, okay, what do you want to lead? Okay. Right. Boom. You make all the decisions. Here's your, here's some budget numbers, you know, practically. Um, but you make the decisions for that area. And because our team at the very first really understood what we were trying to do, it, it was, it was wonderful. Uh, and we were able to get, I mean, local entrepreneurs, these people are starting their own businesses successfully and now they're helping me start a church. Yeah, that's great. Like, that's amazing. Um, well, yeah. Let me, let me, uh, let me just kind of stop you here and ask you some practical questions. So okay. when you guys meet, um, I, I'm assuming so some of my history is I've always met around some kind of table. This professional oh. podcast, no yawns allowed. Um, That's but I've, I've always met around tables, um, since I started church planning. Um, I mentioned that we had a Dan Brown Da Vinci code group and, uh, uh-huh. that became a church plan. We decided, well, let's keep. I mean, we're not going to go back to sitting around rows, you know, this became right. discussions and that's how people found Jesus faster. As far as I was concerned, we still had preaching though, you know, but again, like yeah. you, we, yeah. we didn't have a stage, you know, but we would, uh, we'd have someone talk and then everyone would, you know, first it was, you know, there wasn't really someone would at the end say something for like 10 minutes when we were okay. at Starbucks and we, we got up to about 50 people doing these. So then we broke into groups and when, when it became obvious this needed to be a church, because we didn't start out to plan a church. We weren't planning <laughs> right. to plant a church. And what happened was um we just went to IKEA because you know, we thought, well, people want to sing, so we'll we'll they want to worship, so let let's teach them to do that and uh you know, get them, you know, but we don't want to become necessarily a church service in the, in the traditional mm-hmm. sense of the word. We'd like people to be able to express that and still find God. What have you? I've never been opposed to like actually just having a church service. Like I know that's not in vogue or, in, but I read the New <laughs> Testament. I'm like, well, it worked for the early church. So I, I'm not, I won't crap all over a church service. I don't got a problem with it, but we're like, yeah. but when I look at the first century, church service, I'm like, well, this thing was a lot different than what we have today. And so yeah. that's what we were trying to unpack and, and, 
and really discover. And I, I tell people the, the word I use is the liturgy, you know, like what was the first century liturgy? And it's not, it's not prescriptive. It's not like we have to do it, but let's right. look at it and see why were people coming to faith and being equipped so, so rapidly? And so anyways, um, going back to my point, I mean, we've done church and public spaces ever since then. And the incarnation of what that looks like changes, but there's always that interaction and people facing one another in small groups in a, in a broader gathering. So I'm going to ask you some very practical questions. Um, yeah. And, and that's a little bit about the choreography of this. What kind of tables did you use? And, uh, for your, like your Sunday gatherings and did you serve food? Yeah. So, uh, you know, that, that's funny. I love the, that word, the, the choreography of it. Cause it is, it is a little bit of a, a dance and, and it's, you and we try and this. keep it. Yeah. We try and keep it fresh every, somewhat fresh every week. So, so tables, a lot of times do mean food and, and food means, you know, a celebration. So, um, we do food when we do, um, our version of communion. Um, and as far as like, we truly, commune around a dinner. Um, I, I think that was something that, that was present in the early church. Um, and so we, we do that. Um, and we, we've tried to get into a rhythm. We actually do a, we have a local Jewish business owner that does a full blown, like Passover approved, um, uh, meal for us. Um, and they're, they're just so cool and it's wonderful food and people are like, I've never eaten anything like this. And, and so, so sometimes, yeah. Um, when we started, so the tables were all kinds of tables, really whatever tables we could get our hands on at the time. Cause, uh, we don't have a denomination we don't have a network. We have one church in North Carolina that I helped start in 2011 that, um, believes in, in me and my wife. And so they support us, um, a very different model and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we, whatever we get our hands on really tables, like I said, we, we have high top round, you know, bar style tables that, that we'll put, um, some stools at. We have long, like you said, Ikea, we went to Ikea clearance and found this, you know, long table. Nice. Um, you know, again, the high top table that we could put, uh, seats around. And then actually the same business owner that does the some of the catering for us also, um, they were remodeling. And so he said, Hey, you want these tables and chairs? Like, yes, please. Um, and so, yeah, so a lot of different, different types of tables. We, we set it up. So if you come in again, there's a stage area, there's a screen there, um, an area where our musicians will play. Uh, and we also put a whiteboard up there because I like to use a whiteboard sometimes when I'm I'm teaching. Um, and, uh, and then it's, all the tables and chairs are, are set up kind of like sometimes like in a theater seating, like in, in, a, in a round a bit. Um, and uh, so it's focused on that, but you also then can turn and focus in. So, you know, when, when you get there, we, we do it different every week, but we have some of the same elements. Uh, we do believe in music, although it is um, we, we never refer to it as worship um, simply because one of our core values is worship wholeheartedly. And we define worship differently through that core value of uh, everyday life. And so this is an element of, of worship, certainly. Oh, right. um, we, we just call it music. Uh, it just feels like live music at a restaurant or a coffee shop. Um, we have a, a wonderful local musician. I mean, the guy is just, he's got chops. <laughs> and uh, he's very, very talented. And that was kind of my vision was, I would love to have someone who's the local musician, who's in the, the bar or the club or the restaurant or the coffee shop on Friday, Saturday night. And then on Sunday morning, they're, they're with us and they love, they love Jesus 
you know, as well. But maybe it's two very different styles of music. So he has his own stuff, his own stage name uh, that he plays under. And then on Sunday morning, his uh, his regular person comes to church and and is with us. And uh, he's really wonderful. So we, so we do have that. Um, and, and yeah, he gets people involved, musicians as they come, as they want to get involved. Um, but yeah, we just call it our music. Uh, we, we tell people, you know, celebrate through singing or contemplate, you know, through prayer and singing, use this as a prayer time. Um, uh, we, we definitely do look at the spirituality involved uh, in music, certainly. Um, but we, we view work. We try and view worship as an all of life experience, and this is part of it. Well, um, it's true. I mean, it's definitely yeah. true. Alan Hirsch said, um, you know, that uh, growing up in the church um, has some great effects, but one of the negative effects is that it teaches you that Jesus should be worshiped, but not followed, not necessarily. Mm-hmm. And, and so I get the sentiment, you know, and yet. You know, I think for, for me, we had people that just naturally were wanting to sing and they were singing in their showers and we told them, Hey, that's great. But they were missing on that, missing out on that corporate. What does it mean to yes. come before his presence together, you know, and experience maybe the Holy Spirit fill in the room? And we're like, we can't do that. And the, you know, we would be terrible if we didn't let them experience that in some way. And that can happen everywhere. It doesn't, you know, in, right. in, in right. some ways it's so funny, man. Cause when I look back on the mistakes, the many mistakes I made, um, when that, when we did get to that, I should have started something else instead of moving it out of the Starbucks. That was a mistake mm. that as I look at, I think if I could go back and do it differently, I would have done it, but you know what? That was 2005 and, 2006 and I look <laughs> trial and error, man. I think, you know, gosh, I'm too busy making new mistakes to worry about going back in time, you know? So, <laughs> right. Right. But Hey, Jeremy, it's been fantastic talking to you. Thanks for coming on today. The book is build a bigger table. Jeremy, where can they pick this book at? Uh, yeah. So, uh, Amazon, uh, certainly, um, Barnes and Noble, uh, online. Uh, but if you go to the store, any bookstore, they can, they can order it for you. Um, it's also in Kindle version and uh, e-reader versions and things like that. So pretty much anywhere and everywhere books are sold, um, it is available. And uh, yeah, I, I would love for people to read it. And, and again, it's it's so much of a kind of a conversation starter in and of itself. And so our, our hope is that, that people will want to engage with the ideas um, and even push back a little bit and uh, challenge us in ways that we can be better uh, at building a bigger table and creating space to discuss life and Faith. That's awesome. Well, hey, uh, Jeremy, if um, if uh, we ask this question every single time um, okay. where we do the podcast, and um, my question is going to be to you: If you and Rob Bell were to get in a physical fist fight, who would win? Uh, you know, he—I don't know if anyone's ever been with him. He's—he's he's also like six four. He's—he's um, he, a, he's a tall guy. He's a big guy. Um, but I, I am. I would use my weight advantage, and I, I feel like I would definitely win. Um, uh, yeah, I would definitely win in a fist fight. That's right. Um, unless, how, how big are you? How tall are you? So I'm about six four, like two seventy five. Oh. I'm, I'm a big dude. Yeah, yeah he's big thin. guy. He's really thin, and you got some meat on you. So yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. I, I would take like, it wow, to the ground for Jeremy sure. Jeremy Martin, that's some that's some big smack talk because that dude's like a giant. But hey, yeah. you also are. But you're a beefy giant. Okay. My money's on you, pal. I got you. <laughs> there you go. 
All right. Well, guys, thanks a lot. This has been Hardcore Church Planning. If you've enjoyed today, I appreciate you listening. Want to ask that you give us a review, maybe uh, rate us, rate, only rate us high, and then maybe share us out, <laughs> give us some shout outs, let people know that you've been blessed by it. And by all means, keep listening. And Arnold, sign us out. Remember, if you are called to church planting, go hardcore or go home. Hey, I want to give a big shout out to our number one sponsor. They've been with us for years. I know them personally. Uh, the founder is Josh Henry. He is an ex-church planner. If you wonder why we have so much fun with SimplifyChurch.com's uh, ads, it's simply because we love these guys. We believe in them. I have used them. Gosh, as a church planner, I found them and have been using them for donkey's years. And if you don't know, that means a really long time. So head on over to SimplifyChurch.com. They're going to help you do all the stuff that you need to do, but nobody taught you to do in seminary. Things like bookkeeping, uh, payroll, um, you know, uh, dealing with the IRS, making sure you're compliant, sending end of year uh, donor receipts. If you haven't done that yet, tis the season. Uh, you have until the end of January to get those out to your people. So make sure you head on over to SimplifyChurch.com and let them simplify your church. You've been listening to Hardcore Church Planning. Hardcore Church Planning has been brought to you by the Church Planner Podcast and the Church Planner Magazine, which is available in the App Store for both Apple and Android devices. If you like this episode, leave us a positive review. If you didn't like this episode, we'll be happy to give you your money back.